0: Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken.
1: Hello, everyone. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS Employee Network. And as always, I am excited because we are going to talk today with Sarah Petty. Let me tell you about Sarah, because she is a marketing expert. We're going to talk all about marketing, and she isn't just talking about it. She actually lives it. She is the owner of Sarah Petty Photography. This is one of the most successful photography studios in the entire United States now that's according to professional photographers of America but I'll bet that that means she's also one of the most successful in the world at what she does people clamor to learn how not only not just photographers by the way but all types of businesses uh, and organizations hire her to come in and speak about what she knows about marketing and she's taken her practical how-to information that she implements herself, and she scales it out to any type of business, whether you're a small business or whether you're a large, building something new, launching a new product. And she's written an amazing book. It's a New York Times best-selling book. It's called Worth Every Penny. It's about building a business that thrills audiences and customers, and you can still charge what you're worth. That means you're worth every penny. Sarah, welcome to Amazing Business Radio.
2: Thanks for having me, Chef.
1: Well, we have a lot to talk about, and by the way, I said, you know, build a business that thrills your audience. Well, how about thrills your customers? That's what I meant to say, and it really does. I love this book. When you were writing this book, I couldn't wait to get a copy of it because I want to know how you market yourself so your clients, your customers, your guests, your patients, uh, whatever you want to call them, they say, wow, I love doing business with them because they are worth every penny. Is that what we're going to talk about today?
2: That's the goal. Absolutely.
1: All right, Sarah. So first thing is, give us a little background on yourself. Now, I know that you actually started your business career, if you will, working for Coca-Cola. Uh, is that right?
2: I did. I started right out of college in the regional marketing department of a regional bottler. And oh my gosh, talk about learning the power of a brand, working with one of the top brands in the world, probably the top brand in the world. So I got really a great foundation. And then I worked for years at a local advertising agency, marketing every kind of business. And so that's, you don't get better experience than that because clients are paying you money and if you don't get them marketing results, you're fired. <laughs> right,
1: right. So, and and, 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 and that's, that's great. So you have some really, I mean, aside from getting your MBA in college and learning all about marketing and business, you, you have the chops. I mean, you've gone out there, you've done it, you've worked for major brands, you worked in an agency side, and then you took all of this and you built an extremely successful business over the last 14 or 15 years. Uh, in a photography business. And I know you, we first met in a group called the Entrepreneurs Organization. And to get into that organization, you've got to have at least a million dollars in sales. Now, a million dollars in sales isn't a lot compared to Coca-Cola's billions of dollars of sales. But I want you to get this, people who are listening to this show. A million dollars in the photography business, that's huge. Am I right?
2: It is, yeah. It's huge in
1: any business, <laughs> unless you're Coca-Cola. <laughs> and unless you're, co- but no, the photography business. That means you're you're charging more than than a couple of bucks to do a photo shoot in ten or fifteen minutes. I mean, and I've seen your work, Sarah. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I know, you know, um, you you don't really just call them photographs. They truly are memories. They truly are, you know, as you go back. And we go on and on about that. But hey, let's go back before you started at Coca-Cola. Give us give us some insight as to who Sarah is.
2: Oh, gosh. That's a tough one. <laughs> well, I my dad was an entrepreneur and taught at college for 30 years. So I watched him build a business from nothing while he was teaching full time. And I think that's where my passion for teaching kind of comes from. And then my mom was kind of the Martha Stewart. She was the creative who always had us doing crafts and projects. So I think I am a little different in that regard. I have the creative side that a lot of photographers and creatives do, but I also have that passion for small business. So I love both sides of it, which a lot of times entrepreneurs, they love what they do, but they don't realize they're getting into business when they start doing it.
1: Right, and then as they start to scale the business out a little bit and they have to hire somebody, they have a really hard time letting go of some of the responsibility. Um, yes. Richard Branson once said, I, as soon as I start to do something, I want to get fired from that responsibility as quickly as possible." Yes, <laughs> meaning, yeah, yes. you you know what it means. I mean, basically, he wants to you know get it, start it, and say, "Okay, there's got to be somebody better than this than I am." and yes, because and, yeah, yeah, hire him and move on.
2: I always tell people that when I hire them that I'm not a micromanaging supervisor because if I wanted that job, I could have that job and I don't want that job. That's why I'm hiring you. And if you have
1: to micromanage after you tell them that, then you probably need to find someone else that can do the job.
2: It's very true. It's very true.
1: All right, so let's get into business here. Let's talk about Worth Every Penny, your book. Worth yep. Every Penny, build a business that thrills your customers and still charge what you're worth. That's the full title of the book. Tell us what the premise of the book is. I mean, we know what Worth Every Penny is, but it really, it's a marketing book, yes?
2: It is a marketing book. So on one side of this the spectrum, you've got Price-driven, you know, sort of a Walmart in every industry, and not that it's good or bad, it's just a business model. They're pretty pretty mass appeal with the products and services, and they use price to attract all of their customers. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got more of a boutique business model, high-touch, custom, you're working with the experts, and you're not going to be competitive with the Walmart of your industry on price, which a lot of people feel that pressure, that constant pressure to always compete on price. But where I see the biggest disconnect is, is in the marketing. If you have that business that's high touch, that's custom, that is, um, that's all the things that a lot of us do, you can't market the same way that a, that a price-driven business markets.
1: Well, that makes that's sense. That's what the book is about. So, yes. so I and you use the word you take a more of a boutique approach. I know huge companies that can make their customers feel like they're dealing with a boutique firm or a boutique company because of the high touch, customized feel that they can create. And Absolutely. unless you're you're mass producing some product uh, that's really open to the general public, I think that's part of what will will. Uh, allow you to survive and thrive against competition is basically a customized, personalized experience from any type of business, whether it's a Absolutely. small boutique or a large company.
2: Yeah, you can even niche out little products within your large company that are higher touch, and we've all probably worked and experienced that. I'm six feet tall, really hard to fit in clothes, and one of my favorite stores is Anthropology. Large, giant chain, um, and there's a personal shopper at one of the stores up in Chicago and she'll call me what, like twice a year. And she just loads it up, puts it in a box, sends it to me. It's all stuff that she knows me. She knows my style and my taste. And I drop a lot of money with her. <laughs> so it's very high touch in boutique. And, um, even though it is a large company, so, so companies can do that when they're competing against boutique, they can find a way to become more boutique.
1: Right. I mean, isn't that what like Nordstrom does when they offer up a personal shopping service where if you come in, I mean, here's a huge chain, yet they'll provide you your salesperson. And that yep. salesperson has the autonomy to pick up the phone and say, hey, something new just came in. Hey, we have our sale coming up in, in six weeks. Why don't we make an appointment so I make sure that I can give you some of the one-on-one time that you deserve? And this is from a large, large department store. and maybe the that's, key is, Yeah. Go ahead. The key. The
0: key is.
2: That you pay you pay for that so this isn't in the discount store Nordstrom is a very high-end store and where their personal shoppers are it's the really high-end part of their business so it's worth it though and what people people also start to see is that when you're doing this high-touch these high-touch activities everybody can't be your customer and I think that's with smaller newer entrepreneurs they don't want to turn anybody away Once you get clear on, okay, this is what I do, this is how I'm thrilling people, and this is what it's going to cost. That's just how it is. So because of that, everyone can't be my customer. And that has to be okay.
1: Right. And in the case of Nordstrom's, you're not paying more when you use a personal shopper. It just happens to be that when you go to Nordstrom, the prices in general aren't Walmart prices. Exactly. So there's a big difference.
2: Yeah, the, the... The prices aren't Walmart, but the quality isn't Walmart. The selection, you know, they have gorgeous, you know, clothing with – and the people who work there as well, of course, they're commissioned in the personal shopper area, so they're educated. They're experts. That's another part of, of what we talk about in the book is that we are experts on what we do. So if you go to Walmart, they may be able to show you, and I'm using Walmart as the proverbial Walmart in any industry. Right, the
1: conceptual Walmart. There is yeah. a Walmart in every industry.
2: There is. There mm-hmm. is. And um, they can show you where things are, but they're not going to be able to talk to you about your shape and your figure and what's most flattering and, and putting pieces together. Because I shop at Nordstrom, too, <laughs> when I'm in big cities, and I get those personal shoppers. I Right when I walk in, I ask for their help.
1: Right. So there's a great line. The uh, It's my favorite quote. I think if I quoted this, probably, I quote this more than anything, probably, and it's what the great Aldo Gucci once said, and that, you know, Gucci from Gucci Products. Yeah. Quality is remembered long after price is forgotten.
2: Mm, I like it.
1: So that means uh, something great quality-wise, you still have it, you'll forget how much it costs or how much more it costs because of, of how good it is. And, you know, uh, Stanley Marcus over at Neiman Marcus had a similar saying, but really, it is about the quality and something else you bring up is that the expertise so you know we all write books i mean you're an author i'm an author you know and really what we're crossing over here you're talking marketing and branding but a lot of it is the customer experience and the customer service they're receiving that's part of that value so yeah. uh you know one of the features uh, i write about uh, in my last book my major case study was a was a retailer ace hardware and the reason I love them is they're a little store competing against big stores, and they're winning. Uh, they're not so much that they're, they're, they're taking these other stores down, but what they are doing is surviving and thriving. And one of the things that they talk about it is, you know, they're the different level of service. Now imagine this. You go into a Home Depot, and I mean, I'm not going to ask you, sir. You're going to give me the answer, hopefully, that I want to hear. Uh, don't give it to me just because I want to hear it, but answer it truthfully and tell me okay. if you think this is great. Cause I think it's great. You walk into a home Depot, somebody is there to greet you typically. Hey, welcome to home Depot. And you hold up whatever gadget you have in your hand and say, I need to find one of these. I need to replace it. You know, whatever it is, you're there for some home improvement or some fix fix it project. And they go, Oh, that's an aisle 16. They point to it and they say, it's right there. It's on the left side. Uh, you can't miss it. We have them in every kind of color, and uh, I'm sure you'll find it. So, hey, by the way, thanks for coming in. And as you walk by, and you think, wow, that person was really nice, they, and they told me exactly where to go. They saved me a little bit of time. I would call that a pretty good experience, wouldn't you?
2: I would call that a pretty good experience. That's
1: exactly the answer that I wanted to hear. Ding, ding, ding. Thanks for playing the game. <laughs> but really, if you go into an Ace Hardware, what you get is a little different experience. Everything's the same except... When you say, uh, hey, I'm looking for one of these, they don't say it's an aisle 16. They say, here, let me take take you you there. And while you're on your way there, they actually ask you, what are you using it for? And then they start to make suggestions on maybe alternative products, might save you money, other things you might need to get the project done. They're offering value in the form of service, expertise, and guess what? you're paying a little bit more because that's they don't have the product selection or the, the size store to be able to, to, to buy like that, uh, like a Home Depot does. But people are happy to do it because of what they get. So it's all about yep. the, the quality. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about Worth Every Penny. We're going to get some lessons from Sarah Petty. My name's Shep and This is Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away.
0: You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken.
1: We're back on Amazing Business Radio. This is Shep Hyken. We're talking with Sarah Petty, who wrote the book Worth Every Penny. And we've just been talking about how different companies can differentiate themselves. The the Walmarts of the industries that are typically lower price, good selection. By the way, we'll give you a nice, nice service and then the higher-end Uh, On the other end of the spectrum, they charge more, but you get a little bit uh, different type of experience, which basically says you can compete on price, but that doesn't mean you're competing on the lowest price. You are simply competing, and your price is a value price, and that value may force your price to be a little bit higher. And like you know, like we said, although Gucci quality is remembered long after price is forgotten. You know, Zig Ziglar, Sarah once said. Zig Ziglar said uh, as he was talking, and he did. I can just remember. It, you know, he passed away, but I can remember it like I saw it yesterday. Zig Ziglar, by the way, was the first motivational speaker I ever saw, and I watched him get down on his knee. And this is the line he used: "Don't you think you could, you should pay a little bit more than you thought it was going to cost, than a little bit less." than you should. Nice. Isn't that nice? Sarah, what do you think of that line? And I, by the way, I pulled that that out of a memory bank from 32 years ago when I heard him say that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Ziegel do that to you. He he was fantastic and definitely missed by many.
1: An inspiration. So, any more ideas on competing on price?
2: Well, yeah, you know, you kind of hit on it. In the absence of value, that's when price becomes an issue. So if people are simply shopping on price boom 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 then it becomes an issue but we don't have to just compete on price because different people value different things. I mean think about biking. If you want to get a bike you can go to the Walmart and get a bike. But if you are want to be a competitive biker and you you know you have a different build, are you on road or off road and what kind of handlebars you really need an expert who's there for you who can tune it up, who can get you all the the things you need you want to go to a different kind of business and if you're going to pay more.
1: Yeah, no uh, no doubt. I mean you'll pay $5,000 for a bike not 500 or not even 150.
2: You could. You know, and they have different quality there too. They have a a little more mass appeal and they go all the way up to the super specialty, but not everybody's going to be a bike store customer or anybody's customer. It's people, it's finding the right people who really value that bike or that service or whatever it is that we're providing that's the key and that's how we market differently is to find to, is to engage in marketing activities to attract people who value what you're doing not just price that's why discounting gets so many businesses into trouble because when you discount you get people who don't care about the, the extra value thing, added things that you're doing they just literally want a cheap bike that's all they care about they want a cheap bike
1: and, and you know at the end of the day the only loyalty they have is not to the company but to the price And they're looking through the newspaper. They're going online. Uh, By the way, there are still newspapers out there every once in a while. You might actually read one. But you can go (laughs) online and you can just, you know, Google. You can go to Amazon. You can say, wow. Uh, And by the way, just today, and I haven't read the full article, but I saw that Target came out uh, with a concept of of price matching to make sure that they can, you know, they're known, I think, as like cheap chic uh, because they're kind of a little bit hipper than your typical, walmart and they've got you know different type of selection uh but now they're saying hey we are going to compete on price and this will be really interesting to me because they've always said hey we want to bump up our service and i want to see how well they do because you can't always have the very lowest price and have the best service you can have the lowest price and nice service, but yeah. you're not going to properly you're not going to staff like a nordstrom uh for that right. high value customer where every time you walk through an aisle there's somebody there that can help you out most of the time anyway
2: no, it's true. It's true. And I'm definitely a target shopper over Walmart. We call it Target. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like I said, they cheap have wider cheap chic. No, cheap chic.
2: <laughs> she, yes, there you go. They have wider aisles. It's cleaner. It's nicer. It's merchandised better. So there are just a lot of things. You know, they they work with designers to come up with with in, more interesting products. Right. All up and down every aisle. So Um, I don't expect to get a cheaper price. That's not why I go there. So I agree it will be an interesting strategy.
1: So interesting that you said they have wider aisles. It's a cleaner store. So Harvard Business Review came out with an article a couple of years ago that Walmart was surveying their customers who were asking for exactly what you just mentioned. And here is what they did. They spent the money, literally millions of dollars, redoing some of their stores as a test and what okay. they found out is is the people love the stores more than before which is exactly what they'd hope for but what happened wasn't what they hoped for there was not an increase in sales yeah yeah. yeah. So that's important I think that you know if you're going to do something it's you know think about what's the end result. You may think it's great for you and great for your image but the customer has to agree with it and the customer not only has to agree with it by saying yes they have to agree with it by saying yes here's more money. You know, right. Open they open
2: with their wallet. Right, right.
1: And <laughs> just because you had a little bit cleaner store, Walmart has an image and a brand that they've created. And by the way, a very good one. I'm not knocking them, so please. Me
2: either. Yeah, anybody
1: yeah. that's listening to this, I admire them. I mean, I think they're one of the greatest stories in the world of business, and we can learn an awful lot from them. But we also have to understand that they're in a business model that we may or may not want to get into. If you want to be a Walmart-type model, regardless of whether you're uh, in the manufacturing business, the restaurant business, the hospitality business, any type of business, you can do it. Study them. You'll learn a lot. But if you want to go the other direction uh, and you want to compete in a whole nother level, that's what you do so well, Sarah.
2: Well, yeah, because when you are boutique, like my photography studio is very boutique. And it takes creativity. We spend a lot more time with our clients than a than, you know, maybe if you go to the mall and or JCPenney's or somewhere and you go to a photo booth where they're cranking through people, it's a totally different experience. It has to be. And I can't be Zappos when there's just one of me. I have a, you know, fairly small staff. We can't be open 24/7. We can't do the things that the big, you know, the big competitors are doing, but we luckily there are enough people who love what we do do that we can stay in business. But well, for that to happen... Right, you're yes. choosing
1: who your audience and who your, your target market is and you're trying to play to that market. You're not trying to be all things to all people.
2: Right. Exactly. And I think that's where, you know, your example with the wider aisles maybe didn't work. You're competing on a really different scale when you're going with the, you know, competing against the low price leader. It's really hard to compete. So... Um, You know, a lot of times people want to come to your store, they want to do things, but um, sometimes you can get stuck in a middle ground that's really tough because you're not the best at any one thing. You're almost as good as them at this, and you're almost good at someone else at this and someone else at this, but it kind of leaves you hanging there.
1: Right. So find out what you do best and exploit it. Focus on that. And if you start to try to be everything to everybody, I mean, it's very difficult. And, and that's why you look at, you know, the most successful stores and the most successful businesses, typically, it's a polarized thing. They, they go to one extreme to the other. You know, and, and since we we're talking about, store, I, I use stores because we're talking about Walmart and and Zappos is a retailer, not really a store, but a retailer. And by the way, Zappos is not the lowest price out there. Zappos, yeah, no, uh, yeah. they're
2: taking a different. Yeah, they're right. competing. Their competitive advantage is on um, the fast free shipping.
1: fast, uh, fast shipping, and fast returns. Yep. And I love the fact that you call them up, you say I'm normally a nine. Uh, can you tell me like, how the, big or small the shoe runs? Well, the tippy, typically the shoe runs a little small, so you know what we're going to do? We're going to send you a nine, a nine and a half, and a ten, and you just send the two that you don't want back? I mean, who does that? You're, you're, you're Basically, you're emulating an in-store experience online, but yeah. you do pay a little bit more. But is it worth it? Well, they're doing pretty darn well, aren't they?
2: Yes. And that's what they're known for. I, I literally ordered shoes at 8 o'clock one night. <laughs> they were there at 9 in the morning.
1: Isn't that cool? It was, and it you, is very cool? And you want to know the amazing thing is that the guy that brought them to you, uh, who worked for whoever the company was I think they, you know, UPS, DHL, FedEx, whomever that guy probably had to wait for you to open your business because it was actually in your town at about 5 in the morning. <laughs>
2: Yeah. No, I ship them to my house because I'm there earlier than I did my business. So
1: that's great. Well, so, I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, you you talk about this boutique business, and I want to emphasize that every business, regardless of their size, can offer a boutique-level service. And I think the biggest asset, and, and you tell me, it's about the customized or individualized experience that people perceive they are having. What do you think? Yes,
2: but I, I look at the biggest asset that we have as a boutique model is our database. Oh, okay. It's our d- database and the relationships that we have with people in our database because of that experience, because we're spending more time with them, because we know them by name. We can friend them on Facebook. Your big, giant you know, uh, companies can't necessarily market the same way that the smaller ones can. Again... Um, Anthropology found a way to do that with me um, by putting me into this small little group, and the the rep got to know me, and she treated me like a boutique business owner. So that was pretty cool.
1: All right. um, So there's a software program that will do this. There's a software program that will do this for for a a large company. It's called Salesforce.com or any other software. Type program that, that manages the customer relationship CRM. If you look at uh, look at you know all of the rental car companies, you've got Enterprise Rental Car, the largest in the world. You've got Hertz, you've got Avis. You go online or you call up and you tell them who you are, and they immediately say, "Hey, uh, it looks to me in your profile that you like a large car, uh, a four door." Uh, you want me to book you one of those? So you're able to give that personalized, customized experience. So I would agree. I, I want to go back and I want to say, uh, I want to change something that I said. Maybe it's not the biggest asset that you have is the individualized service. Maybe it's your secret weapon it's one of the strongest strategies you have in the sales process and the uh not just sales but the the continuation of the experience that they have long after the sale is to make them feel as if they have that individual experience but a boutique business yeah i get it the the database is important but i think that's important to every business but i think as a boutique you can truly exploit it to another level so we're going to take another short break when we come back We're going to talk about two concepts and start to wrap this up. Uh, Sarah has a concept called the dog whistle and the slug bug. They have to do with marketing and attracting the best clients. We're going to learn more about that. So everybody, don't go away. My name's Shep Hyken. We're talking to Sarah Petty. And this is Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It.
0: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken.
1: Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio talking to Sarah Petty, the author of Worth Every Penny. And this whole uh, show that we're on is, is worth every penny, every ounce of time we're spending. You're giving us some great ideas, Sarah. I wrote down a couple of things in, in the prep for this interview. One of them was this concept of the dog whistle, uh, about attracting more clients with a dog whistle. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, think if you could attract clients. If you had a whistle you could blow to attract the right clients, we would all buy that whistle, wouldn't we?
1: How much is that (laughs) going to cost me? I'm ready.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's not something you can actually buy. It's something you have to create because it's different for everyone's business. So I think a lot of people just go to this same generic marketing of spewing out what they do, blah, 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 and there's so much clutter in the marketplace, especially if you're a small business like me. I have to compete with the ad budgets that are crazy. So, and I'm a I have a photography business. So, you know, nowadays everybody's a photographer. Most people compete with cheap in their business, but as a photographer, I compete with free because everybody has a digital camera, and so I have to be able to get the right client because everybody's not going to be my client. There are a lot of people who just wanna pay 200 bucks and get a CD of images. I can't stay in business that way. So I learned to create what I call a dog whistle promotional piece. It's a piece that I create that has bells and whistles. So it folds, it turns, it, you know, I do a couple of them a year, usually two a year. One is my holiday card, believe it or not. And it has emotion in it. It gets my clients engaged. So for example one year I did a, a play on Mad Libs where my clients could fill out their own holiday greeting with you know verbs nouns and adjectives although until my brother-in-law sent it back with inappropriate verbs nouns and adjectives <laughs> it was <laughs> a good thing but Here's how the dog whistle part works. Well,
1: well first, tell me what Mad Libs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know what Mad Libs are. Tell our audience, just in case they don't know. A Mad Lib it's yeah. it's basically you can buy a book called Mad Libs, and, and it's yeah. it's kind of a fun interactive book. Sheet of paper, a uh, bunch of words on it. Tell us more about it.
2: Yeah, it just has a story with a bunch of blank lines in it. So it'll you'll ask somebody. I could say, Shep, tell me a verb. Tell me an adjective. Tell me two nouns, and then I read you this story. So it comes out to be this funny, you know, it's silly that little kids like to do. And so that was our holiday card. And we got such a response. My clients would take it around and gush on me. I literally ran into a client in July one year who pulled my holiday card out of her purse when she ran into me. She said, I show it to everyone. I just love it. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't even have my holiday (laughs) card in July. And the same thing happens at parties. I'll be at a, whether it's a business party or a work party or any kind of function, I'll be in a conversation with someone. They find out I'm a photographer and they'll ask for a business card. And I say, you know what? I don't have a business card. And I say, but you know what? In my purse, I have this piece we just mailed and it twists and turns. And they either say, oh, okay, or they freak out. Well, the people who freak out are my clients. And it's funny to watch it happen because they'll walk around the room going from person to person. And I can see the people who respond and freak out. There might be three out of a huge group. Those are my clients. So those are the ones I follow up with. It was the total dog whistle that told me exactly who would be a perfect client for me.
1: So you blow the whistle at a certain pitch and certain dogs show up. And I love it. So this is really cool. Uh, What you've done with these marketing pieces is you've made them. You said it's emotional. uh, And I'm not sure how emotional a Mad Lib can be. But what you did do is you made it interactive. You, it, it's something that you do with the marketing piece. Um, it's not just a brochure about you. It's something fun, interactive. It connects, it, it connects somehow. It, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, um, I just started doing something fun. Of course, it, it, you know, we're authors, and we always love to send our books to people for promotional purposes. So if you're thinking about hiring me for a speech on customer service, I'm going to send you, you know, a little letter. And my latest customer service book, which gives me credibility, et cetera, et cetera. And you can do the same thing, obviously, with Worth Every Penny. By the way, uh, I know not everybody has a book, but it's the premise. Well, just recently, I started taking one of my other books that I'd written. And actually, uh, it's one that we don't promote as much anymore because it was from, you know, four or five years ago. It's still a great book. And rather than send a thank you note, uh, I open up the book. And I don't just sign it, you know, to Sarah Best Wishes. No, I write what I write on the thank you card on the front of that book, you know, on the front first page, just as I would sign the book. That's my version of a thank you. And guess what? People get a nice thank you card. They appreciate it. They may or may not keep it for a while, but probably won't find its way on a permanent spot on somebody's desk or somebody's shelf. But guess what? That book will, right? That's what we're talking about. That may be, you know, a version of the dog whistle, if you will.
2: Yeah, yeah. The dog whistle is what gets people gushing on you. So imagine someone coming into their office and saying, oh, look at this book and look at how the author signed it to me. So it gives, it arms other people with something to gush on you with so that you don't have to walk around saying, oh, I'm a really good speaker on customer service. Your book and your note do that for you.
1: Right. So slug bugs, that's another term you use with marketing. And I love that. It's just a fun term. I just like saying it, slug bug. I just want to call somebody, hey, you're a slug bug.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when you see a Volkswagen Beetle, you punch the person next to you, and you say slug bug, and you get a point.
1: Oh, my daughters used to do that to me. They'd hit my arm, they'd go, slug buggy.
2: Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, I have teenagers now, and I played it, too, when I was a teenager. And then for 30 years, I quit playing it until now. And you have to stay, you have to practice it to stay sharp. You can't just play the slug bug game when the kids are in the car. So when I'm driving alone, I call out the slug bug, slug bug. (laughs) And I, I pretend to slug someone, even though the points don't really count if no one sees it. But your marketing is a lot like the slug bug game. When you're in business, you have to look for opportunities everywhere you go, and they are there, just like the slug bug. So when people say, oh, I'm not good at marketing, You know what? You're not looking for the marketing opportunities. They sit down with a blank piece of paper and say, I'm going to be marketing today. No, all you have to do, just like the slug bug game, is train yourself to see the marketing opportunities that are already driving right by you every single day.
1: Yeah. So give me some examples of what you're doing.
2: Absolutely. So, for example, say I go to the dentist. I'm not, this isn't a marketing appointment. I just literally have to go to the dentist. I'm striking up with a conversation with him. I find out his wife's pregnant. Well, there's a slug bug right there. I need to photograph the wife and the, ba- the new baby. I might find out that he's big a big wig at their national dental convention. Well, slug bug, I might say, hey, do you have speakers? Because I speak on boutique marketing and I think that's appropriate in the dental industry. There's a slug bug. Um, I well, might talk to him wow. about co-marketing to see if he needs displays in his lobby and how we could partner up together three slug bugs right there while I'm getting my teeth cleaned.
1: Okay, so what you're calling a slug bug is really uh, noticing, and and for lack of a better term, it's, it's being able to notice opportunity. It's right in front of you. You yep. just don't see it. You've got to train your mind to listen. So when I'm out, and this is a, I love this example. I use it in customer service all the time. I'm out with my daughter one night having dinner. It's her birthday. Uh, actually, it was a coming up was her birthday, and I said to her, so, you know, are you excited about your birthday? The server happened to hear that. Guess what the server did? Surprised us with cake and a little candle and said, hey, I hear it's your birthday. And we're thinking, how did she hear? Well, I'll tell you how. She just happened to be listening, and it was her slug bug.
2: Yes. And you know what, Shep? People are all saying, well, how do I market on Facebook? you can go market on Facebook by using it as your ears. People share so many life opportunities on Facebook if you just go listen. You don't have to go put a discount or a sale out there. Just go listen. Just like that waiter did.
1: Yep. You create, you know, it's it's what I would almost call your your and this is the advantage sometimes of a boutique or of an organization that thinks, boutique, and that is go after the individual. It's the individual. You build relationships and recognize that 80% of your business is going to come from the top 20% of the people you do business with. And that's a standard average. I don't know who actually came up with that number, but I think it's pretty true. The majority of your business comes from a select group of customers, clients, patients, again, whatever you want to call them. That
2: was actually Vilfredo Pareto.
1: Yeah, it's the Pareto principle. Yep, yep, yep.
2: He figured it out, mm-hmm. and it really holds true in all parts of our life. So, so you, it's a good you, little principle.
1: Basically, I mean, we, you're talking about small business techniques, but small businesses can compete with big businesses. We've already talked a little bit about you know, uh, uh, an Ace Hardware store competing against a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Menards. Any thoughts on how to compete with those big brands?
2: As a small boutique business?
1: As any business.
2: Well, yeah, I think just getting clear on all of the things that you do for your customers, from the experience to the expertise to um, marketing differently and taking that emphasis off price. And I, I hate seeing there are some industries that are just in those price wars, like the high-end retailers like J. Crew and, and a lot of those big ones, and they're all in this discounting thing. And I know it, it kind of hurts everybody when you get into that trap. But everything I do is to try to avoid that. So if there isn't a reason to discount, like clearing out your end-of-the-year inventory. Obviously, in winter, summer's coming, so there's a reason to discount. So if there's not a reason in the mind of the consumer to have a discount, then you're devaluing your long-term value of your products and services. So it's it's taking great care of clients. It's marketing them to them differently. It's It's giving them a reason to gush on you so that they can refer you and and take that emphasis off price
1: love that we can't
2: compete we don't have the scale there's always going to be unless you are walmart <laughs> you know the walmart of your industry which there's one in each industry you have to find something different
1: right i think that's the key and if nothing else throughout this entire conversation that we've had you've used that word different perhaps more than any other word that we've used you know, Sarah, it's great. You've shared a lot. The book, and you need to go to Amazon.com or your bookstore to get it. It's called Worth Every Penny. Build a business that thrills your customers and still charge what you're worth by Sarah Petty, P-E-T-T-Y. Is there a website we can go to?
2: Um, joyofmarketing.com is my company, and... Um there's a lot of information on the book. I have a whole blog that talks about boutique principles and how to market differently. Um, but any retailer, you can should be able to grab the book.
1: Excellent. You have been awesome, Sarah. This is why we call this Amazing Business Radio because there is a lot of information packed into a real short time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for coming and spending your time with us and listening to the show. You've been listening to Sarah Petty being interviewed on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS and Play It Network. My name's Chef Hyken. Thanks for listening, and remember to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.